Good morning. You guys doing well? Who's going to win that game today? The old, the old guy or the young guy? How many didn't even know there was a game on today? How many really don't even care less, huh? Uh, yeah, okay. Hey, we got a great Bible study here for you this morning. We've been working through uh, a topical study here called Reboot, Restore to Original Settings. And so far we've looked at uh, rebooting our lives spiritually and then emotionally, financially, physically. And last weekend we talked about rebooting our lives sexually. And this weekend as we wrap up this teaching series, we're going to talk about rebooting relationally. And, and this is kind of the, the groundwork for the up and coming series because next weekend we're going to uh, kick off a new uh, topical uh, once again before we go back into book studies. We like doing book studies and then we'll go back to topicals from time to time. In topicals, keep in mind, I kind of spoon feed you a bit, but then when we kind of dive into books, we, we really dive into the, the text more so and so. Um, but we're going to be heading back into another topical and then uh, Easter we'll pick up another book study uh, in Ecclesiastes. But next weekend it will be called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. We're going to look at uh, just uh, how to have good healthy relationships. So this is the groundwork for that. If you have your Bibles you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 18 and then verse 25 and then we've got a whole assortment of verses throughout this uh, outline. Also, grab your notes. You'll see there on the uh, intro, there is nothing more complex and challenging in life like relationships. How many would say by show of hands that the most uh, complex and challenging person in your life is sitting right next to you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you had your hand up before I even finished right here. She's going to kill you. So there's nothing more complex and challenging in life like relationships. The acknowledgement of struggle and failure should not overshadow the hopeful truth that in Christ relationships can be repaired, maintained, and flourish. And, and I'm more convinced of this than ever before. As I begin to walk with Christ in my early days, I begin to realize that if I'm really connected with God, it ought to make a major difference in my life as, I relate, as it relates to my connection with others. The more you know, the more you know Christ, the better you'll be at repairing, maintaining, and flourishing in relationships. Another way we could say it is that the more... The more you live in vital union and communion with Jesus Christ, the better you'll be at repairing, maintaining, and flourishing in relationships. So that's what we're going to talk about here today, rebooting relationally. And uh, you can see there on our notes, we're going to look at two, two kind of questions, two things. First of all, we're going to look at two unhealthy extremes, two relationships. We kind of fall prey to these two extremes, and then we'll build kind of a good solid foundation, a healthy understanding of relationships. That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray before we look at this text and unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love your presence, and we acknowledge that relationships are messy, but you, our faithful God, use them to rescue us from ourselves and to show us our inability to love others without first finding our strength in our relationship with you, the God who created us and redeems us. We are thankful that we, we don't need some new sophisticated technique for successful relationships. What we need are the basic character qualities that can only be formed in our heart by the gospel. 
So as, as we have prayed throughout this series, Psalm 8019, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. May the joy of your presence empower us to repair, maintain, and flourish in our relationships according to your word for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Take a look at Genesis 2, 18. And it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now jump to verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked. If you're from Arkansas or Oklahoma, it's naked. And, uh, and, but if you speak English, it's naked. I can say that because my mom is from Arkansas, Oklahoma area there. So, uh, and I said, I said naked for many years until everybody started correcting me. It's not naked, it's naked. Got it. They were both naked. Notice I have to hesitate before I say it. Just to, which means they were fully known and were not ashamed, fully loved. Fully known, fully loved. Now, it's striking that in Genesis 2.18... The fall hasn't occurred, and man in a perfect relationship with God, he's in a perfect relationship with God, and yet God says it is not good for man to be alone. So the fall hasn't taken place, he's in a perfect relationship with God, and God looks at man and says, it's not good for you to be alone. Now short of torture, society's worst punishment is what? It... <laughs> You guys are messed up, man. Someone said marriage over here. Do you guys hear that over here? It's like, where's security? No, it's solitary confinement, which is kind of closely related to marriage, huh? <laughs> that blows the whole message right there, right? No, I didn't do that. No, solitary confinement. Short of torture, society's worst punishment is solitary confinement. Why? Because community with God and others is what we were created for. It was Mother Teresa who said loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. And no one wants anybody to know they're a leper. Now, you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. You can only be fully loved if you are fully known. Would you agree with that? Oftentimes people feel like, I don't know, I'm not really connecting with these folks. The first question I said, do they know you? And are they loving you? Is there love, you know, a mutual loving truth and knowledge or truth and love going back and forth between this relationship? To be loved and not known, to be loved and not known is comforting but it's very superficial, it's shallow. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be fully known and fully loved is what we need more than anything. And God gives us that. God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And, uh, and he begins to, to transform our life. It's in that, I mean, he loves us to the bottom. I mean, he knows every detail about your life. And yet he loves us to the skies. It's, it's overwhelming love. It's an amazing love. And, uh, 
And that's what we need more than anything. We need it not only from God, but we need it from others. And what that does is when we are fully known, fully loved, as you see in this, in this story, and the man and his wife were both naked, naked, fully known, and were not ashamed, fully loved. And what that does is it sets us free from mask wearing and game playing. It sets us free, gives us a humble confidence, keeping us from towering or cowering in relationships. It fortifies us to face any difficulty life throws at us when we are fully known and fully loved. Now, there's two unhealthy extremes to relationships. Now, while most of us don't tend to to live at either of these extremes, we do move in the direction of of either isolation or immersion in all of our relationships. The first fill in the blank there is isolation. I can't live with you. I can't live with you. You just kind of isolate from those folks. Or the other extreme would be immersion. I can't live without you. Now, whatever our problems are, most relationships fit one of three profiles, three relational profiles based on these two extremes. Here's the first one, number one, the frustrated relationship. The frustrated relationship. Here, one person moves toward isolation while the other moves toward immersion. So one's isolating, the one's trying to immerse themselves in the relationship creates this frustration. Number two is the enmeshed relationship. Here, both people move toward immersion. They ride the roller coaster of each other's emotions. And, and because they are, are so dependent upon each other, they can be easily hurt when the other doesn't meet their needs. You guys remember the movie uh, Jerry Maguire? And there's that scene, they're having a little girl talk, a little girl, girl chat, I guess. There's a group of girls, I don't know what they're doing. They're, they're probably not having a Bible study, but, but, uh, but they're talking, and then uh, Tom Cruise walks in. And you remember the classic words there that he says? He says what to the gal? You complete me. And what does she say? Shut up. <laughs> something like that. I, don't, I didn't have a... Uh, I, you had me at hello or something like that. And so all the women go, oh. And all the guys go, ooh. And, uh, and, and, I, and if you really understood, that's enmeshment. That's, uh, that's codependency. You complete me? I hope not. That's, that's actually messed up. See, if you haven't achieved a solid sense of who you are in Christ, you are destined to believe one of two lies guaranteed to sabotage all of your relationships. Here's one lie. I don't think it's on your notes, but you can write this down. The one lie is that I need this person to be complete. I need this person to be complete. That's one lie. The other lie would be uh, if this person needs me, I'll be complete. And that's called, uh, it's, it's called codependency. And it's, it's just evidence of the fact that you, you haven't, first of all, found your sense of identity and completeness and contentedness in, in Christ. And uh, see, if you love any person more than you love Christ, you will crush them under the weight of your unrealistic expectations. And uh, I mean, it's inevitable. And so it is not anyone else's job to be your identity or to make you whole or to be your purpose for living or to make you happy. Oftentimes I'll ask people, so what gets you out of bed in the morning or what drives your life? And I've heard people say, well, it's my kids, you know. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have no purpose in life. Well, what happens if something happens to your kids? That your purpose isn't to be based on your kids. It's not to be based on a, on a relationship. It's to be based on Jesus Christ. 
It's to be based on who he is and what he says about you. Otherwise, you lose the relationship and you're gone. All your sense of identity is gone. People in your life are meant to share your life, not be your life. They're to share your life, but not be your life. And um, I'm going to read a quote from this book, but it's, a, it's the, kind of the classic quote that I've used many times before. It's the book Relationships, uh, Doctors, Less and Leslie Parrott. If I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own through Christ, they don't put it quite like that, but that's how I would put it because as the Bible tells us, so if I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own, all my relationships become an effort to complete myself. See, all I can bring to a relationship, if I haven't found my contentedness or completeness in Christ, all I can bring to that relationship is neediness. It creates that enmeshment and that un- unhealthiness. And uh, so that's that second one, really an important one. The third one is uh, the isolated relationship. So you've got the frustrated relationship, you've got the enmeshed relationship, and then you've got the isolated relationship. Here both move toward isolation. I've seen this in married relationships where the couples, they're just roommates. And oftentimes that's because of such woundedness and such hurt. And I've seen people do that with church relationships. Some people don't even go to church anymore. Well, why don't you go to church anymore? I was so wounded. It's just that isolation. Now, each of these profiles either make too much or too little of relationship. Each, each of these. And uh, here's your next fill in the blank. So isolationists conclude that relationships are just are too difficult. They're not necessary and the effort is not worth it. And these are people that have just been so beat up by relationships. Ah, forget it. I'm checking out of these relationships. I don't need anybody. Immersionists are convinced that relationships are everything. And without relationships, I am nobody. And I've actually seen people that are kind of in that enmeshed, they tend to keep going back into unhealthy relationships. They are so desperate and so needy that there's almost this cycle of abuse that happens in their life. They go from one abusive person to the next abusive person. And these, uh, these conclusions are rooted in people's hearts and expectations, what their expectations are as it, as it relates to their relationships. I, in our game of life, I was talking to them, and you've heard me use this illustration before from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis talks about how much our expectations play in our play as far as the role that it plays in our lives, and particularly in our relationships. He says, if I were to take you into this room, and before I took you into this room, I told you that this room is a honeymoon suite. When you walked into the room, you might respond by saying, oh, it's not quite what I expected. So it's based on expectations. But if I took you in that very same room, and before we walked in the room, I said, this is a jail cell, you would walk into that room and go, wow, that's not too bad. It's based on expectations. So, so if your expectations are here, and life comes in here, life's experiences come in here, what's this gap called? You guys know what that is. It's disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement. You have this gap. So I was telling this to the Game of Life folks, and then right after that, I, I started talking about how we do a marriage enrich class here, uh, or it's actually a, a, a prepare enrich uh, inventory that we have couples go through and take before they get married. And I said, part of that inventory is to help couples deal with their idealistic distortion. You guys know what idealistic distortion is? It's you see everything with rose-colored glasses. That, they, that couples oftentimes come in there, they just, they just think they'll never have any problems and everything will just be wonderful. <laughs> so it's that, it's that idealistic distortion. 
So in essence, and I, I kind of slipped out when I said this, but I, but I said, in essence, what we're trying to tell couples is that your marriage is going to be less like a honeymoon suite and more like a jail cell. And... Uh, <laughs> And I didn't mean to say that, but I kind of said that. And, and, and in a sense, if we tell you it's going to be more like a jail cell, then you could probably make it into a honeymoon suite. But if it's more like a honeymoon, if you think it's going to be a honeymoon suite, you're going to find out it's going to probably be more like a jail cell. It really comes down to expectations. And I said that is because in some way all relationships are difficult. And at some point you will wonder if relationships are worth it. You're just going to go, oh my goodness, I never knew it was so hard. How many would say that as it relates to marriage? You never knew it was going to be so, so hard. Some of you probably had some realistic expectations, but yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy hard. It's really hard. And uh, when we look at Genesis chapter 3, the fall, we see immediately the man and woman are, are engaged in, in hiding so, so they have this spiritual alienation from God, the one that they should receive that, that sense of identity from, wholeness from, but now they no longer have that. And so that immediately creates this psychological alienation within them, this struggle, this emptiness. And that is translated into this horizontal, this relational alienation in their life. And immediately they go into hiding. They're not naked and unafraid fully known and fully loved anymore, but they're beginning to hide, and I call it hiding and hurling. That's not, a, it sounds like throwing up, doesn't it? But it's, but it's not that. It's actually just blame shifting. So what's interesting is that when blame shifting, accusation, and slander, who was the very first one that the man, when he finally came out from hiding, and that's typical of all of us, we're all kind of in hiding, but then when we're forced to come out of hiding, well, I am the way I am because of the woman you gave me, and then who did she blame? The serpent, yeah, so, so we kick the can down the road. We, we typically will blame our, our conditioning you know, this is my parents, this is how they, you know, I was raised in a really messed up home. And I'm not minimizing that. And that certainly will influence you. But it doesn't control you. Or it could, you, people blame their circumstances or people blame their chromosomes. It's just how I was wired up. So the man and the woman are engaged in hiding and blame shifting, accusation and slander. And then you go to Genesis 3. And it gets even worse with the man murdering his brother. And yes, relationships are a mess, but they're a mess worth making. Subtitle of the next series. But you need relational skills. And that's what we're going to focus on uh, over the next uh, few weeks. Here's what I have found in my own life. Relationships don't put you in conflict with others as much as they put you in conflict with your own sinful nature. They put you in conflict with you and what kind of skills that you might have and how much contentment you have in Christ to be able to deal with this relationship. So the big question here, what, what purpose does God intend relationships to serve in my life? And as a person created in his image, what should my relationships look like? So let's look at a healthy understanding of relationships. Number one on your notes, under that heading, God, so, God was so in love with community Put Trinity there, so within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have, that's community. He was so in love with community within the Trinity that he created a world of people to share it with. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, 
So we see, we see the Trinity right from the get-go. Then God said, let us, who's the us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth. And then we move to the New Testament. We see this very similar thing. We see the idea of the Trinity in Matthew 28, 19. He says, go therefore, this is Jesus speaking, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Notice it doesn't say names it's singular, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is that God is one in essence, three in person. It is a paradox, but, but not a contradiction. If you want to study more on that, we did a teaching series uh, back in 2012, February the 5th. It was in our series titled, The God You Long For, and the, and the title of that particular one is Triune. The God you long for is Triune. You can even get it on our DB app and, and listen to that. I won't go into much more detail than that. But from all eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in loving relationship, delighting in each other. So that's the idea that you need to understand of this Triune God. Now, if a Triune God already had perfect joy in himself, why did he create us? I've actually heard people say, well, he created us because, you know, he wanted to have a relationship with us and he needed us and he didn't need us, believe me. He did not need us. So if a triune God already had perfect joy in himself, why did he create us? He created us not to get joy from us, but to give joy to us. And it's really telling us the essence of life. The essence of life is about relationships. Loving relationships is what life is all about. Next point on your notes, number two, our need for community with God and people is to us spiritually what oxygen, food, and water are to us physically. So our need for community with God and people is to us spiritually what oxygen, food, and water are to us physically. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. Jesus was asked by uh, some lawyers, what's the most important thing? You know, what should be the goal of our lives? What would be the most important thing in the, in the, in the law? How would you summarize the law? What would you, how would you summarize life? What's the chief end of man? You remember what, how Jesus responded? Yep, he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What was he saying? It's all about relationships. How many are familiar with 1 John 4, 7, and 8? How many are old like me and remember that there was a song that used to sing that? Beloved, let us love one another. Oh, please, Pastor Ray, don't sing that. <laughs> it was actually a great song. It was really a great song. How many remember that? Show of hands. You guys are old like me. Some of you aren't so old, though. But, uh, but it, was, it was really an amazing song. Let me read the, the verses to you. Beloved... Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Do you love? If you love, it's evidence of the fact that possibly you're born of God and, and you know God. That's what he's saying here. We also, I put down here in your notes, Exodus 23 through 17 is the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, within the first four, you have a relationship with God, and then six through ten, you have the relationship with people. And here, here's the point, that relationships are first fixed vertically before they are fixed horizontally. Does that make sense? 
unless you're directionally challenged like me. Horizontal, vertical, which one is, what is he talking about here? So yeah, vertical. So let me say that again. Relationships are first fixed vertically before they are fixed horizontally. We're going to talk about that next week. That all of our problems are rooted, typically, it's on a fixed axis between us and God. And when our, our relationships aren't going well this way, where do we need to look? We need to look back to him. We need to take a serious look at how am I relating to him. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the health of my vertical is seen in the health of my horizontal. Now, let me read to you a quote from this book, Relationships. I, I found this always really quite, quite fascinating. It's uh, the... the the title here, the subtitle within this chapter is A Life or Death Issue. Just to show you the significance of our relationships. World, uh, during World War II, doctors identified a fatal and mysterious disease they called marasmus. You guys ever heard of that? Interesting disease. It was discovered in a group of orphan babies who were placed in a care facility with brightly colored toys, new furniture, and good food. So they had a really a great, great circumstances, great environment. But in spite of the pleasant accommodations, however, the health of these children rapidly deteriorated. You guys know where I'm going with that, don't you? They soon stopped playing with the new toys and gradually lost their appetites. Their tiny systems weakened, becoming lethargic and wearing down. Some children died. When word got out, United Nations doctors were flown in to make a diagnosis and treat the children. After only a short time of investigation, the doctors made a simple prescription curing the problem within days. You guys know what the, the prescription was? For 10 minutes each hour, all children were to be picked up by a nurse, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. With this simple prescription, the little ones brightened, their appetites returned, and they once again played with their toys. Their marasmus was cured. Isn't that fascinating? The writer goes on here, which I agree, this, this profound and deep human need for nurturance does not change as we grow older. And so what we see is that not only are there uh, psychological benefits to us knowing and being known in this connection, not just with God but, but with one another, but there's also physiological, there's physical benefits to this. Kind of a classic DB illustration here is, uh, is these two examples of that, how it affects us physically. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Almeida Almeida County study headed by a Harvard social scientist to track the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had had health habits such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it is better to eat donuts with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Huh? So let's go out and have donuts, huh? 
Just you and I, we'll just share our lives together and we'll be healthier as opposed to just being alone and eating our broccoli. Uh. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam notes that if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. For another study, as reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. Any volunteers here? The study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. <laughs> it's a little gross. I'm not, I'm not making this up. They produced less mucus. This means it's literally true. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> so we've got a new slogan here at Desert Breeze for our small groups. Don't be snotty, join a small group, okay? So it's, I mean, it's, it's really quite fascinating when you look at all the research, but it, it just, it's just showing what God intended from the beginning. We're, we're meant to connect with God and then connect in vital ways uh, with one another. We desperately need that. Number three, healthy people create healthy relationships. Healthy relationships help us to become healthy people. Uh, stop there just for a minute. This is what I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to really understand this. Um, so, if, so healthy relationships, so if, if, you go, if you want to have healthy relationships, relationships are only as healthy, and think about this, relationships are only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Would you agree with that? Therefore, individual healthiness or wholeness is the key to healthy relationships. So the best thing you could do is to get healthy. It's for you as an individual to get healthy. And then you can help to create an atmosphere that's healthier for every, everybody around you. You can be a facilitator of health. But there's, I'm, we're going to go over three uh, hallmarks of health. Ask the person next to you if they know what would be the, harm, the hallmarks of health. One of those three or all three of those hallmarks of health. Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. So what are you guys thinking? What would be some hallmarks of health or for healthier relationships? I mean, it's, it's stuff that we need to know. And were you, is that what you guys were discussing? Are you discussing maybe the score of the game later on today or something like that? So what were you guys thinking? You want to yell some out to me? Hypocrisy. That's, that's a healthy mark? Hypocrisy or an unhealthy mark? So you mean honesty? Unhealthy. Okay. Okay, putting the other before yourself. Christ-centered life. Christ life. Yeah, cool. What, what do you guys think? Are you guys coming up with anything over here? Oh my goodness. Did you, did you read the notes ahead of time? Because that's one of the answers. Hey, take a look at your notes here. Take a look at your notes because that's the first one is deep significance. And deep significance is that you know at the center of your of your being, you're unconditionally loved by God. We love him because he did what? He first loved us. 
You need to hear at the center of your being the voice of God saying, in spite of everything you have done, I love you. At the center of your being, I love you. In spite of all the things you've done, I love you. At the center of your being, you need to hear that regularly, consistently. How's that? Does he actually say that? Yeah, yeah. I don't have it on your notes, but Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we don't need to work for God's acceptance. All we need to do is trust the one who completed that work on our behalf, and that's Jesus. We trust him. And that takes us into relationship. The work is done. We sang a bunch of songs about that here this morning. Pretty amazing. But he loves us. And so I've got to learn how to receive that love and enjoy that love and, and, uh, and reflect on that love until it burns bright within my heart. Without this, you become needy, insecure, and vulnerable. And because we have the assurance of God's love no matter what, we can give, give up trying to please everyone in our lives, leading to firm authenticity. So deep significance and then firm authenticity. You know who you are and are open and honest and vulnerable and trustworthy. Healthy relationships don't deny emotions. They don't ignore problems. They don't tiptoe around undiscussable issues. That's authenticity. Truth builds trust and trust builds relationships. Truth builds trust and trust builds relationships. And what this does, because you have this deep significance, then you can have this firm authenticity and you have the courage to express what you truly value, enjoy, and love and are quick to admit your feelings and yes, yes, even your failures. Oh yeah, I was a little harsh. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said it like that. Or I, I said some really mean words. Please forgive me. You're able to do that. You're able to work through that. That's, that's healthy. And without this, you become stagnant, superficial, and phony. Ephesians 4, 15, and 25, it says, speak the truth in love. It talks about that, how important this openness and honesty is, this authenticity. And with, with this, you can express self-giving love. Someone said it right over here. You had it. It is the overflow of satisfaction in God that gladly meets the needs of others. You become concerned about all needs, but especially eternal needs. So this is what begins to take place. When you have this deep significance and firm authenticity, I mean, this idea of self-giving love is, is being so enthralled by the greatest treasure in the universe, Christ, that you're willing to do whatever it takes, even to die, to include others in it, to reach them, to, to convey to them the love that we have in the Father. It's pretty, pretty important. So without this, you will definitely become selfish and self-absorbed. Self-centeredness, I think I heard someone talking about that over here, this idea of self-centeredness makes everything else a means to an end. Nothing makes you more miserable and less interesting than self-absorption. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Number four in your notes, so God has two purposes for human community, personal growth and witness to the world. 
Got quite an assortment of verses here. Ephesians 4, 15 through 17. I already kind of alluded to that, talked about that. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's talking about the body of Christ, this openness and honesty, this uh, being fully known, fully loved. It says that we grow, and not only do we grow, John 13, 34 through 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your, by your what for one another? By your love for one another. John 17, 20 through 21 that they may all be one. This is Jesus' prayer, that they may all be one so that the world will believe that you have sent me. So here's the deal. That when people come into Desert Breeze, they ought to to be shocked by the fact that you have such an amazing love for God, but you love each other. And that they would say, oh my goodness, I've never seen people love God and love each other quite like those people over at Desert Breeze do. And then I hung out with their families and they they love each other within their families. That's crazy. And it it becomes a witness to the world. But you got to grow into that. Now listen to me. You need to get this, this, uh, this idea. There is no way you will be able to grow spiritually apart apart from deep involvement in a community of other believers. If all you're doing is checking the box, church box, come in here on a weekend service, you're not connecting with other Christians in a vital way where you have people in your life that are encouraging you and loving you and where you can know and be fully known and you've got this, this mutual love going back and forth, you're not going to grow spiritually. You won't grow spiritually. 58 times in the New Testament, you have this idea of one another. You guys familiar with the one another's in the New Testament? Love one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. 58 times. It's talking about fellowship, deep connection. You're not going to grow unless you're deeply connected to others. And uh, the Bible's real clear about that. Everyone says that they want community and friendship, but mention commitment and accountability, and they all run from it. I mean, that's what we typically do. And, uh, and typically we do that because of pride or fear, and we're not walking in this vital union with Christ. Hey, hey, let me challenge you uh, to consider a couple things here as it relates to connecting with others in a, in a church setting like this beyond the weekend service. Consider coming to the connection party here in a few weeks. Sign up for that. Come out. Find a group that you can connect to. Or here's another option, is consider joining one of our existing groups. Just go into the foyer or go online and find out the different groups we've already got happening here. And go hang out. Or consider, consider starting your own group with just a few friends. Just say, hey, call up a couple friends. We're going to hang out at the local you know, coffee shop somewhere. Come over to your house. Get out the growing notes and just work through that. Hey, listen to Pastor Ray's message last weekend. Let's sit down and talk about it. Just do that. I'm a part of three groups. I absolutely love it. In fact, I get a chance to go around and visit different groups from time to time. I went to one of the groups that was here in our fellowship, and oh my goodness, we had a blast. I mean, we laughed so hard 
I mean, that in itself, how many know that you can get in, when you get in a group and you laugh and you carry on, you have a lot of fun, there, there's almost some kind of healing. It's such a stress reliever. Show of hands, you guys understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to join that group. That'll be four now for me. And don't, don't invite me to your group because I'll probably join it. I mean, I just absolutely love, love that interaction in, in small groups. So just consider that. Number five on your notes, you can't squeeze deep community into an overloaded schedule. Wise people know that friendships, marriage, and parenting take time and are greater value than achievements. I'm going to show you a video clip. This is from the movie Click. I don't recommend this movie. I didn't think it was all that great of a movie. And you need to use your discernment too. Just because I show a clip from a movie doesn't mean that I'm... I'm approving of the movie, but just use your discretion. But there's a scene in this movie that's quite stirring and moving. And let me kind of give you what it's about. A stressed workaholic played by Adam Sandler doesn't have time for his wife and children because, because he wants to impress his ungrateful boss and earn a promotion. He's more into achievements than he is about relationships. He meets Morty, Christopher Walken, who gives him a magical remote to mute and fast forward through his relationships so that he can achieve more in life only to his final regret. And that's the scene here. His dad has passed away and now he realizes he lost a lot of valuable time to connect with his family. Watch this. Matthew 16, 26, it says, What good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? I've been with a lot of people, both as a pastor, but when I was a medic with the Phoenix Fire, I've been with a lot of people on their deathbed, and I have never, ever heard anyone say that they wish that they would have, a, have a acquired more or accomplished more or achieved more. It's always about, it's always about uh, family, friends, and their faith in God. Always. So it's going to be either the pain the pain of, of discipline, of spending time working through that with one another is going to be the pain of regret. It's going to be one or the other. And if you don't have quality time for your marriage, your parenting, then, then you're too busy. If you don't have quality time for Christian community, then you're way too busy. You need to cut some things out of your life. Because life is about relationships. Number six, the perfect eternal love relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit was ripped apart. Here's the basis of why it's so important and what God has accomplished for, it, for us. Was ripped apart to restore us to God and reconcile us to one another. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And to, and to understand this mutually self-giving love within the triune God for all eternity, we need to begin to understand, uh, when we begin to understand this self-giving love, we can understand it in light of the infinite cost of Christ's love for us on the cross. We need to, we need to see that and see what took place there. Not, uh, it was about three, four weeks ago at the end of the service, I had someone come up to me and uh, they weren't very nice. They just, they told me that I was an arrogant jerk and uh, I said, so you've been talking to my wife lately, huh? And uh, I didn't actually say that, but I was kind of like set back, and then they went on to say about how they dis uh, disagreed with the message and all of that. And, and, and that was certainly hurtful, and it took me a little while to work through that. Uh, but I didn't really know the person. So it didn't carry the weight of hurt as, as much as if I had no, known you for a while, 
and I got to know you and, and you weren't just an acquaintance but you were a friend and then you came up and said something like that or, or you said, hey, this relationship's over, I'm out of here. That would have hurt much deeper. And, and that certainly would hurt if I knew you but it wouldn't hurt as much as if my kids, a family member, my kids said that to me. That would even go much deeper and hurt more severely. And certainly that would hurt coming from my kids, but not near as much as it would hurt coming from my wife. Because you see, the deeper and longer the relationship, the more devastating the breakup. Does that make sense? Some relationships scar you forever. But no one has ever experienced what Jesus experienced. The father turned his back upon the son. And Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's amazing. What he went through, he was abandoned so that we never will be. So that we would be brought in. That's amazing. What an amazing love. Jesus was abandoned so that you would be reconciled to God forever and never be abandoned. The perfect eternal love relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit was ripped apart to restore us to God and reconcile us to one another. That's the gospel. And God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Do you see, do you begin to see what it cost Jesus Christ to reconcile you to God and then to one another, that's the basis. So let me ask you this, what are your next steps to make a relationship with God and others a greater value, priority, and practice? Next weekend, we're gonna head into this series, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. We're gonna talk about what, what is the root cause of conflict. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. Because Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can cry out with confidence, Abba, Father, you're our daddy. By grace, through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, you have reconciled us to yourself so that we can know you will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. And you have given us the, this ministry of reconciliation. Keep us, keep us from being, going into one of these two unhealthy extremes of either isolation or immersion. Help us to see that we are relational beings who have been called to a lifelong community with you, our God, and one another. Give us the deep significance of being enthralled by your grace and lavished by your love so that we would have the firm authenticity to do whatever it takes through self-giving love to be a tool of your grace in the lives of those in and around our lives for your glory, in our joy, in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.